If you're a busy woman raising children and you want to learn to reverse engineer how you want to feel in all areas of your life, listen up. For the first time ever, I am teaching my energetic time management process. Not only am I teaching it live, but you're getting one-on-one access to me. Yes, you heard that correctly. You can reach out to me personally and get feedback on how this process is working in your life. So head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash workshop. As soon as you register, you are going to get a pre-recorded training video that you can watch over and over and over again that also has an accompanied PDF, step-by-step. I'm literally showing you step-by-step. You're also going to be... um, given the details to reach out to me one-on-one and my team so we can support you as you're integrating this work in your busy schedule. And we're also going to be throwing in two live group Q&A calls. So come ask your questions. I'm going to show you how to integrate energetic time management, not just at home, but in your work as well. Ask all your questions, and I'm there to help you live in alignment with how you want to feel. Head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash workshop and join us live today in May. Hello. All right. So in the spirit of parenting, I'm just letting you know that my house is a shit show right now while I'm recording this and people have decided to stop by and I have held a boundary and said, I have recording to do. And this is a perfect example of real life when it comes to progress, not perfection and practicing what I preach, which is holding boundaries and making myself proud by holding myself accountable to doing what I said I was going to do, even if it's just an extra 30 minutes. So I'm telling you right now, if there's something in your life that you've been wanting to do, but you put it off because maybe it's not perfect or maybe it's different or it's emotionally uncomfortable, go do the damn thing now. All right. So let's get into today's episode. We are talking to Debbie. Debbie Reber is actually a magical unicorn, Um, but as you are going to hear in today's conversation, she probably doesn't feel magical all the time. And a quick backstory, I actually, I've been, I've known Debbie for a really, really long time. And um, she is the author of Differently Wired, um, The Differently Wired Kid. You can go check her out at tiltparenting.com, T I L T parenting.com. There's so many free resources on her site. Um, and she was actually a book mentor of mine. So she's the author of Differently Wired, a parent's guide to raising um, an atypical child with confidence and hope. And so she talks a lot about ADHD, Asperger's, gifted children, sensory issues, learning disabilities, anxiety, and more. Um, so that is Tilt, T-I-L-T, parenting.com. And then, of course, my phone rings and my dad is calling too. And I am just plowing through, right? Everyone needs us all the freaking time. And no, this is me holding a boundary, focusing. And I am not stopping my damn recording and starting again. 
Anyways, Debbie Reber, we're diving in. Before you listen to today's episode, what I wanted to tell you is I reached out to Debbie before I became an author, and she was actually one of my mentors who helped me along the road. And I remember when I first reached out to her, I was like, I knew nothing about writing a book. And I was so overwhelmed by the process. And I think she had like a, I don't know, like a some type of workshop or course or something. And I took her course and it it just got me to the next step. And then I was like, okay, now I need this. Okay, now I need this. And now I need this. And to be honest, I was so embarrassed because I think I only got through like half of her course and I was so ashamed and I felt like I was failing as an author, potential writer. And um, I just wanted to share that with you because, I mean, that hasn't really impacted our relationship. Um, I haven't talked to Debbie since then. And I reached out to her and I was like, I want to interview you. And I interviewed her. Oh, good. Now my dog is going to bark. This is great. Dad calls, dog barks, kids yelling. This is awesome and fabulous. Anywho, let's dive in to Debbie's um, conversation and let's learn why raising differently wired kids when they become teens is like a whole other shit show, like the one I'm living in right now. Hello, Debbie. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too, Heather. It's so nice to see you. It's been a while. I feel like the last time we connected, I was going through my emotionally uncomfortable birthing of becoming an author. And you were a pivotal person. Well, one of my stepping stones on that path. And oh gosh, what a what a shit show of becoming an author. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a heavy lift, isn't it? It's very involved in every way when you're going through it. Yeah. It's like becoming, well, it's like raising children in general and then differently wired children. And you learn as you go and you learn as they grow, which is what Mm -hmm. we're talking about today is when you're raising differently wired children as they're becoming teens and adults, because I think there's a lot of information out there on the younger years. And I know you've been in this space for a while. And so I just wanted to hear your perspective because you've been such an advocate for, well, your book, Differently Wired and your other books as well. But um, what that has been like for you out in the world, the real world of raising children when they're coming up to teen and adulthood and all yeah. the things. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you the to microphone. Like, what do you want to say? You're on stage. What do you want to <sighs> scream from the rooftops? Oh, boy. Um, Well, you know, what I think is so interesting about this is, and I say this all the time, is that there are so many things like when you're raising a younger child who's neurodivergent, you know, they are on a lagging timeline in terms of their social emotional development, their ability to emotionally regulate. And oftentimes, we might be seeing really intense, bigger behavior, and they don't have those coping skills down, right? And So as our kids get older, a lot of that stuff tends to even out a little bit. Um, So in some ways, it's like, oh my gosh, we made it, right? It's uh, we made it through the rain and we're we're in a new world and we are, um, but things get tricky and complicated just in completely different ways because neurodivergent kids are complicated and puberty is complicated for them and being an adolescent and figuring out identity and then moving towards launch. It is all 
it's all going to just look different from kind of that neurotypical experience. When did you, what did you notice within yourself going through that transition? Because I obviously, every, I believe every human is different and everyone has their own unique human experience. But I, in particular, had a, something that I didn't expect to happen when my children were headed into teenhood, when they already have some um, differently wired, you know, things that I had to let go of. So mm-hmm. curious from your parenting or identity perspective, what you've noticed? Yeah. I mean, I think there is that part of me that I was like, oh, we've made it through this. And so when things got challenging in different ways, I wasn't really expecting that. I think, you know, I feel like I was told, I know I was told by a therapist or someone early on that when you have a child who is, who does kind of push back um, and confronts um, our role as a parent from an early age. And, you know, I I don't like the word defiant, but a child who really requires a lot of evidence um, to change their beliefs and really has a very strong perspective. Um, I had heard that when, uh, that that's the rebellion, you can kind of get it over with. And so when all these parents of neurotypical kids who had very compliant children, their kids become teens, they're like, whoa, what's going on? Um, So but that actually isn't the case. You know, I, this process of individuation and, and which is so necessary and figuring out who you are. And so whatever that dynamic is like, however close your relationship is, whatever it looks like, our kids are designed to, and they need to push back. And I don't know that I was really prepared for that and and how it would feel to me. I was someone who homeschooled my child for many years too. And so we were thick as thieves. Um, And so I had to just really kind of do my own work to be okay and to really support my child in, yeah, figuring out who they are on their own terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I experienced a lot of grief. I didn't know I was going to experience that. I, but I didn't know it was grief. Mm. And it was bleeding into other areas of my life as well, where I felt very mm-hmm. confused. And I was like, mm-hmm. what is going on? Why does this feel like a completely new language to me? Like I've been at this for decades. Right. Yeah. I mean, I will say that a lot of this stuff corresponded with COVID and mm-hmm. perimenopause. And so there was a, it was a very intensive experience for me on an emotional level that I certainly wasn't prepared for a lot of the time felt like, I just don't know how to do this. You know, I, I thought I knew what I was doing and I'd figured out systems and um, fluency in my kid and, you know, kind of, and I have so many tools as I know you do. And so I felt really well equipped. And so I think that's, was kind of the biggest struggle for me. It was just feeling like I, I just, I'm out of my depth. I don't know what to do here. And I was also dealing with my own hormonal changes and um, my anxiety really went up and and all of those things. So definitely a tricky time. So let's talk about that and not necessarily like the specifics of your situation, but I think this Mm -hmm. is really important because I hear a lot of women talk about this. Like even it's like, perimenopause or menopause, and then their their children are going through a new developmental phase or a different stage in their life. And I think culturally, um, there is this expectation, and I know we're 
I'm talking about like neurotypical children, but what I mean is children in general, um, but we can talk about differently wired children. How um, there is this like unwritten rule that the older they get, the easier it gets and you Mm kind of have gained momentum and then you're good and you just keep sailing. But did you notice that you had to like, maybe resort back to some tools that you haven't used in a really, really long time. Like when you maybe first time you got a diagnosis or something where you were like, wow, like I'm right back in that doctor's office. Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think, I don't know about to, to that level, but I think that there are so many, I don't know if rites of passage is the, is the correct term, but there are you know, as our kids get older, there are these expectations and ideas that this happens at this age. And by this grade, we're doing this. And this is what the social life looks like. And then if you're on a trajectory to going up to university, then this happens this year. And, you know, so there are all of these ideas. And I think, especially for those of us who are focusing on different things when our kids are younger, right? We're working on the emotional regulation, the coping skills and all that stuff. When that settles down, um, I don't think a lot of us are prepared for all of these other things that can be really triggering for us as parents. And so with those kind of constant reminders, like, oh, yeah, this is also going to look different. And this is going to look different, too. And we're going to have to revisit this idea of being comfortable with a unique timeline and our own fears and anxieties being triggered because, you know, as we move towards high school and beyond, we get reminders all the time about like what a typical pathway looks like. And so I think we kind of have to double down and do our own work and kind of tune out the noise. That's what I've had to do. Um, I've had, I've had to get off social media certain times of the year and do things like that to really take care of myself, my own emotional well-being. Okay. I want to, I want you to hear what Debbie just said, because I think it's really, really important. She was talking about, so regardless, remember this series is called Beyond the Diagnosis. So regardless if you have a diagnosis or not, your child is a child. Okay. So she said something about, I think as humans, we, we like order. We love certainty. That's why a lot of people are not like they're terrified of coaching because there's the uncertain of the future. So they don't they don't get the help that they need. Here's my point. Your brain is always searching for certainty and comfort. And sometimes that will be falling back into things that are not healthy. So here's the thing. We Culturally, we need to label and put people in boxes so we can categorize people and like, you know, just from a systems perspective, from a development perspective, right? To to prolong like, okay, this isn't normal. They need help. And like, so we can challenge and whatever. But when our brain is focused on categorizing our children and they are falling behind or they are different that triggers our deepest wound, right? Our deepest fear that triggers our primal brain of like, I need to find certainty. I need to find certainty. And then we don't find that certainty because children are not wired that way. Children are going to chronically trigger us. So then we try to control. We try to control their behavior. We try to control outcomes because we think when we control, we will have certainty. Okay? So I just want to make that point for you that... If you are raising a differently wired child, 
or a child in general that doesn't fit the mold of other children and you're like, WTF, what is going on here? So your brain is doubling down on control, right? Controlling their behavior, controlling what they eat, control, 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 because your perceived control equals certainty, but that's not really true. So control is not the answer. And this is where I talk about getting emotionally uncomfortable. So let's continue the conversation. So I was actually just going to ask you that you answered it a little bit. Like, what did you do when someone's like, when you're like, I had to create that space or double down and focus on yourself? Um, Because I think it's one thing to know that you're triggered. It's an, you know, one thing to know you're, you're in that messy middle, as I call it. Um, It's another thing to know what to implement when. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I had to do was go back to therapy. I just realized I need more support. I need kind of a safe place to process this because I don't know how to navigate this. And it was um, just such a hard time. I was definitely not and, I, you know, I am on a, in a different place now because I, ha- I have a great therapist <laughs> and, you know, and the COVID pandemic has kind of moved on. But um, but I think getting support, that was a huge thing for me um, is to just have a place to to navigate my own feelings of incompetency or just overwhelm or just a safe place to talk about things that I'm dealing with that I don't feel I can kind of talk to with a lot of my parenting peers who are just having such a different experience. So that was a really big piece. And I'll say that for me, the biggest work that I've had to keep doing over and over and over and over again is just working hard to let go, let go of control, um, let go of, yeah, mostly control because I am a control freak and, um, and I like to plan and I like to, even if I'm planning for 10 different scenarios, I kind of want to know how things, you know, what it's going to look like. And so really learning how to tolerate uncertainty has been my biggest lesson right now, which I'm still very much working on. Um, And I work on that through therapy. I work on it through, you know, just consuming content that is supportive to me. I'm working right now on trying to once again, learn how to meditate, which I'm, I'm not very good at, but I, I am feeling a need to have, more resources like internally to be able to be okay with the uncertainty. I so appreciate your vulnerability because I think so many people listen to books, podcasts, stories, and they're like, what am I doing wrong? Cause I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And to go through a journey. What is the saying? I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to screw it up. But the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you're like, what is this existence that I'm in? And mm-hmm. why am I stressing about things that in my mind I thought I had control over, but I really didn't have control over? Mm-hmm. Um, I know COVID was not kind to my children and their mental health in some aspects, in some aspects. I have three boys. They are aspects. They did great. And you see the, the like, like the 
end results of that, right? Of like how that plays out after. Um, And a lot of people don't have answers to it. It's like just the processing and that is uncertainty. Like that is like the messy middle of it. Um, And then throw on a few other things, but it sounds like the parallels, completely different experiences, but the parallels of um, the children going through stages and phases in an already difficult time while you're also going through your own. Uh, yeah. The last few years I thought it was COVID, but then I was like coming out the other side. I'm like, that was a shit show. That was an evolution of my child mm-hmm. is changing and evolving. I'm changing and evolving. It wasn't, it wasn't fun to go through. It was incredibly scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The hardest part phase or season of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, you know, I think what you said as well, like, you know, I'm sure you're reading the same studies I'm reading about the mental health of young adults and adolescents in general right now. And I think for neurodivergent kids, um, they can be even more um, deeply impacted. And because that social emotional development um, at such critical times, which is already lagging, really um, was uh, delayed even more. So I think it is, it's really complicated. Okay. A quick word about today's sponsor, AG1. A few days ago, my husband asked me if we had any more AG1 left in the house because he gifted some to a handful of his buddies at jujitsu and they wanted more. Proof that once you try it, you will feel the difference. At AG1, they relentlessly test to establish the benchmark for purity and potency, ensuring your health is in good hands. Simplifying your health routine shouldn't be a hassle, and AG1 achieves that by streamlining the process. Say goodbye to the jumble of pills and capsules. Just one scoop of AG1 mixed in water every day is all you need. For busy individuals like myself, time is precious, especially while juggling the responsibilities of raising a family. And that's why I embrace anything that helps me cut through decision fatigue. AG1 has become my go-to solution with its comprehensive support for brain, gut, and immune health in every scoop. It's the simplest habit I've ever integrated into my daily routine. Trust AG1 for consistent daily support. Take control of your well-being with AG1. Experience it now and enjoy a complimentary one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 along with five free travel packs with your initial purchase at drinkag1.com forward slash E-U. That's drink a G, the number one, dot com forward slash E U. So she makes the comment about the social and emotional skills and the studies. Here's my thing awareness is key, but changing our behavior as parents is what is required in order for us to see change. And I am all about what is happening and what studies show 
and theories and talking about it. But what can we implement every single day in our lives, within ourselves and our children? And if our kids won't listen to us because they're teenagers or adults or they just won't, um, that's okay. Because the only thing we have control over is ourselves. So if you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, yes, 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 I do not feel alone. These women are allowing me to feel less alone. Feeling like we belong is number one. But the emotionally uncomfortable part is changing our own behavior. So I want you to consider that. Yes, awareness is key, but what are you going to do about it? And if you're really stuck and you have absolutely no idea, you don't have a plan, you don't have the skills, you don't have the support, then I really encourage you to get on the wait list or the interest list for my mastery coaching program. This is where I teach you as an adult, as a parent, as a caregiver, the skills to reverse engineer how you want to feel so that you can then teach those skills to your family as well. And I take a holistic approach. So we look at you in all aspects of your life and help you reverse engineer so you can feel successful both at home and in your work. These are life skills they're game changers. So head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash mastery and get on that list. Let's continue the conversation with Debbie. I want to ask you this question. You may not know how to answer it right away because if someone asked me, I would be like, oh, I don't really know. But is there things in your parenting now? So I'm going to say teen adulthood that you have like completely let go of that you may have been more controlling over in the younger years of development, especially when you're trying to be a quote unquote conscious parent or aware or proactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, I think I try to see myself now as a consultant to my child or a coach or, um, uh, there's an author of a book called Finding the Magic in Middle School, Chris Baum, who uses the uh, terminology of being a companion to our kids. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. And so um, so I've let go of a lot uh, in that kind of reframe of my role. Um, I think because I did homeschool my child for so many years, and I'm, again, a really good planner and organizer, I was really kind of involved in goal setting and projects and, you know, setting, uh, you know, mapping out things and uh, being the, that executive function. Um, so that was a big piece that I've really backed off and been working on how do I scaffold, but it's, that's very uncomfortable for me and the amount that you really need to back off when you have a young adult. Um, so that has been a big thing. And I think, you know, certainly when my child was younger, both my husband and I were very much focused on certainly just more external behaviors. And um, I've really, I think with the more and more information we've gotten and what's happening in the neurodivergence space and just understanding of what is um, an adaptive behavior for someone who's neurodivergent and that we really want to respect the experience of someone who's neurodivergent, that the way that their nervous system is responding, that that's what we want to be supporting. Um, 
And I think that shift has made me kind of just show up in a completely different way. And instead of looking at that external behavior and then like trying to address that, I'm more like, okay, how can we really support your nervous system platform as Dr. Mona Jellahook calls it? And so I think for me, the biggest change has just been what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the external manifestation or behavior and addressing that. I'm really looking at um, what's triggered you? Why are you in fight or flight? How can we get you back to a place of of calm and regulation? Mm-hmm. I I see it as a visual of how we're such an integrator and a doer with our children when they're small, right? We're like, eat this, do this, do this, do this. They get bigger, 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 grow. And now it's like, okay, like a little ping pong ball. Like here's, there's some boundaries here. Mm-hmm. And you're going to ping and you're going to like test and you're going to push and you're going to explore. And I'll be your your guide, like you said, the coach, the consultant. Um, but, oh, wow, when they're pinging, right? We're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. oh, oh, it's so intriguing to watch and observe. It has been mind-blowing. Mind-blowing is accurate, yes. I'll share one other thing that I've been working on now that is very different is, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of declarative language. Hmm. No. It is, um, and I'm spacing on the name of the author. We can maybe throw it in the, the notes for this. Okay, so the author that she was talking about for declarative language is Linda K. Murphy. And that's Declarative Language by Linda K. Murphy. You are going to want to check her out. Amazing. The notes for this, but um, Declarative Language is really uh, effective with kids who are demand avoidant. So even a question, would you do this? How was your day? What happened here? Could be very triggering and kind of spark a kid into fight or flight. And so Declarative Language is using statements. Um I'm really, you know, I'd love to know when, you know, I'm, I'm so curious about what happened at school today, as opposed to what happened at school today, um, or I'm going to be cleaning up my room, let me know if you need help, or, you know, so it's kind of, it changes the way that we communicate really any message, and it can become much more collaborative. Um, and so that is just like something I've been doing differently in my parenting life that has been really hard for me to do, but very effective, especially with the neurodivergent kid, many of whom are demand avoidant. Yeah. I'm okay. Demand avoidant, meaning like when Mm. you have a demand, like it sounds like the energy. So my brain always thinks in like energy where it's Mm -hmm. like controlling kind of like forceful of like Mm -hmm. demand, meaning like, tell me how your day was. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like a lot of neurodivergent kids, most I think have, for example, sensory processing differences, right? And so even the environment can feel really demanding. And so a lot of these kids have very um, small windows of tolerance about what can be, what helps them feel safe and regulated. And so a demand could be, um, we have to leave the house by six o'clock. Um, we have to get out the door, put on your clothes, do you help with this? Um, how was school? Do this homework? You know, anything could be um, a perceived demand even. And so sometimes just a question, um, what I'm learning uh, is that a lot of kids who are already wired to kind of go into defense mode pretty easily, that sometimes just a question, would you put on your shoes? Can can create a shutdown for some kids, and so changing it to, 
I wonder how fast we could put on our shoes today. I'll race you. You know, even that kind of switch is a different way that could, that's not going to trigger that same, you know, back off uh, response in a kid. So this makes me think one, I've never heard of this and I'm going to have to read this book that you're telling me about. And we'll definitely put the um, author in the notes because this is something along the lines of what I have had to do with my teenager, which I didn't know that I was doing. Um, But one thing you said about the collaboration, the Mm co-creation, I always ask, how do I want to feel, right? Like, how do I want to feel in this conversation I'm about to enter? Even though it's emotionally uncomfortable, it can be triggering. Usually we want to feel connected. We want to feel collaborative. Mm -hmm. And you know, Debbie, I can identify with the, I like to be the planner. I like to be controlling. I like to like, let's take action. Let's move along. And I can see how it's forced me to slow down a little bit and to be more collaborative in my communication, which is, yes, this is awesome. I'm so going to look into this because I'm like, mind is blown. And I've been challenging myself to do that as well. And it's fascinating to watch the behavior and response where I'm like, oh, you're more open and receptive because I'm not being such a control freak. Yeah. You're not attached. And I think that is the thing with so many of our kids. I think most of us as parents, we're very invested in and enmeshed in our kids' emotional experience. And so I love that. Um, that you kind of set that intention. How do I want to feel in this exchange? Because our kids read our energy. They're very tuned in. And um, so if we can go into those uh, conversations or interactions really with our own clean energy, being clear on what our intention is and, and kind of respecting our kids' autonomous experience and not making it mean anything about us. And that is, a, that is not easy to do. But if we can do that, it's amazing how it not only will it kind of deflate or uh, minimize conflicts, like it's going to completely shift how, how we feel in relation with our kids. And I love that you mentioned connection. To me, that is the most important thing. Yeah. Oh, the emotionally uncomfortable of like the disconnect, like wanting to be connected to your child, but not attached to their experience, like letting them be who, like letting them find themselves and to figure that out. That is like this push pull. I've had this conversation many times with my children, my husband, where I'm like, it's this like, when do I lean in? When do I pull back? Um, it's one thing to know you're holding a boundary or you're pushing back, but it's another thing that you know, you're, you're being a teenager, like you're giving me pushback, but you're also trying to get your way a little bit, like to be like Mm a, like a scientist or like a detective where you're like, do I lean in? Do I push back? Do I test? Do I throw noodles at the wall? It's like, you gotta be a ninja. (laughs) It's so hard. And you have to manage your own. So while you're figuring that out and trying to read the room and be fluent and nimble and whatever has happened in their day or where they are today and what's going on, that scaffolding, we build it up, we take it down, we put a little bit more here. Yeah. And it is, it is a very uncomfortable dance while we're also managing our own triggers and our own fears and our own insecurities. And our, am I failing my kid? And what is this person going to think? And I mean, it is, that's yeah. why, like I say to my therapist, I don't know how to do this. And, you know, and I keep saying, just tell me what to do. Give me a plan, you know? And she's like, there is no, there is no plan for this. This is individuation. This is what it's, this is what you're doing. This is what we do. And of course, with the neurodivergent kid 
who a lot of us as parents have been much more involved and have had to play that uh, role of executive function at, uh, on a different scale, it can be especially just messy trying to figure out how do we do this together? Oh, you and I, we could talk forever and ever. Yes, I think so. (laughs) This is just like the tip. So when people are like, I want more of Debbie, I want more of all of this, where can they find you? What do you have coming up in your world right now? Whether it's parenting related or not. Oh, good question. Um, I always have a kabillion things going on, but I will say Tilt Parenting is kind of my hub for everything. And my podcast is still my primary and you're going to be on it this fall uh, is still my primary. We haven't scheduled it yet. You're like, oh, really? No, but yes. I'm like, yay. Um, Yay. So that's still my primary way of of communicating. I have a pretty vibrant community called the Definitely Wired Club, which I'm going to be making some exciting changes to this fall as well. So those are kind of my my two biggies. Awesome. I so appreciate your openness and vulnerability, Debbie. And it just gives me reassurance too that, you know, we can try to be better every day and curious and, you know, the judgment, yes, we want to judge other people to control and do all the things, but it sounds like there's a lot of um, judgment within ourselves of unlearning as well of like what a good mother is or how to raise the perfect child. So I just want to say thank you in general for being you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I agree we could talk for a long time about this, but we need to talk about it because it's if we don't, then we all as individuals feel like I'm doing this wrong and we're not. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have all those links for everyone to go check you out and continue the conversation. So thank you, Debbie. Thanks, Heather. Okay. There you have it. So... I just want to say you are definitely not alone. If you feel like you're alone, you're feeling overwhelmed, it's a very similar experience. And I truly believe in Debbie as a um, thought leader and also a resource hub. So you need to go to Tilt parenting.com. She has a podcast. She has a book. Um, and then you're going to go down the rabbit hole with her and she is going to introduce you to some amazing speakers. Um, and so I'm just going to read her bio quickly. Tilt parenting founder and CEO Debbie Reber is a parenting activist, um, best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker, a certified positive discipline trainer, and a regular contributor contributor to Psychology Today and ADD Attitude magazine. Debbie's most recent book is Differently Wired, raising um, exceptional as an exceptional child in a conventional world. I could read all the things, but what I definitely wanted to tell you is you just need to know her. Um, TiltParenting.com. If you are like WTF, we have a diagnosis. We don't have a diagnosis. Um, Also, if you gain value in this, share it with a friend. Tag me on Instagram. Take a screenshot. Tag me at Heather Chauvet. And this is how we're going to change the world is sharing resources together. And that is why I put this series together. Love you lots. You're not alone. Let's keep going. I sometimes joke that I wish I taught people how to make green smoothies for a living, but I know I'm doing that because I'm trying to run away from what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is helping women 
and men, families in general, and children feel alive. And sometimes that journey to feeling alive is painful. It's emotionally uncomfortable, and it's not always easy. This is why I created the Aligned Life Quiz. So if you're tired of being tired, you want to stop just surviving, and you want to find out exactly where to focus and access realistic tools to confidently manage your energy, emotions, and impact, you can head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N dot com forward slash life quiz. It takes you two minutes and it's going to show you. I call them internal leadership skills. Where do you need to focus your energy and attention for the quickest results? And also, which phase are you living in? So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash life quiz to take the aligned life quiz right now. If you're ready to stop just surviving and you want to start thriving, but you don't know how to manage it all, go there. It will take you two minutes and it will change your life. I also on the inside show you which podcast episodes to listen to based on your quiz results. HeatherChauvin.com forward slash life, L-I-F-E quiz. 